Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Skyping's Okay, PayPal. You know, I think it's very important to continue to remain worldly. You know, America has a very bad habit of really just closing in on itself and acting like no one else matters and other stories don't matter. It's very annoying. And it's also very reductive. And I feel like it's not just white Americans. Like the country as it is oftentimes acts as if the only stories that really matter are like American stories. And that is so just myopic because the world is so much bigger than that. And in my effort to always expand our minds and to expand our conversations, uh, today's guest is from across the pond. And (laughs) it's from across the pond. We've got recording artist Yola with us today. And we are speaking specifically about being a Black British artist. Now, originally when we connected Yola, it was about like just being a Black artists in general, but I feel like the music industry in England is different than the music industry in America. And I'm very curious to hear about your experience within that space, because I know about the music industry here in America, and I don't know about the music industry in England. And also, like when Black Lives Matter really... Not just Black Lives Matter, but like when the conversation around Black life and around George Floyd really exploded last year, there were a lot of British folks that I would see, both white and Black, that would be like, well, you know, we don't have that problem here in Britain. And, you know, we don't have racism here in Britain. I'm like, y'all literally, like you made up slavery like what do we like like shadow like you refined shadow slavery like i mean like you may have not invented it but you like really worked out the kinks and so i was like that's crazy and i feel like for the most part the black people that i know who live in england can expressly give you examples of racism and if anybody watched uh steve mcqueen if everyone watched steve mcqueen's amazon anthology small acts it expressly talked about the ways in which black life in england was affected and it continues to be affected by racism so of course, this conversation isn't just about racism, but I know that it has a factor. And <laughs> and so please give it up for Yola. Yola! Hey! Not to be confused hey! with Yolo. Not to be confused no. with Yolo. <laughs> Indeed, Yola. You only live always. You only live always. (laughs) So please talk to me. I mean, first of all, you know, when you were nominated for Grammys in in the 2020 Grammy Awards, it was Americana was the category. And I was like, I don't know what Americana is. Like, I, I was like, what is this classification? So how do you describe your music? Uh, as musically genre fluid, I've always talked about being across genre, about 
the how the British experience of music has always been less genre because we were getting everything across the pond from you guys. And so there was this understood, like, reflecting back that Brits would do. And then Americans would get it and they go, oh, that's interesting. We think this. And they'd reflect it back across the pond. And it was just this all the time. But we got everything together. It's not like they decided to import blues and then waited for, like, you right. know, soul music. It all came on the same ship. <laughs> and so often the way that we'd absorb music was all together and the radio would reflect that. And so mm -hmm. we're really brought up in this kind of culture where we we see the connections in music more than necessarily the divisions mm. in music. And so that's why I speak on this kind of concept or this term I've coined of genre fluidity, because it's about my actual environment. Instead of homogenizing maybe to the Black American experience, mm -hmm. I'm talking about what it was like to be a pretty isolated, dark-skinned Black girl in a village outside of a city and the music that I gravitated towards and the environment that I was in sonically so that I can speak on to the experience of maybe other people that have been isolated while black and, uh, <laughs> and you know, isolated and, while black. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, and just been absorbing music and trying to find the kind of their connections to the diaspora, because let's make no mistake, that's what it is, you know? We're connecting back to mama, AKA Africa, like mm -hmm. via all of these ways, you know? And not that distantly for me, given that I'm like, my heritage is half Ghanaian. And so like, I'm sometimes directly through the kind of the absence of my father, that's my touchstone to the diaspora through my Bajan mother, that's my touchstone. <laughs> we have <laughs> Oh, God, make some flying fish for me now. <laughs> Just a we side note, there was a video recently of Rihanna and Nicki Minaj <laughs> hanging out, and I have never heard Rihanna really let her Bajan accent out like that, but she really let it out. And I was like, oh, my God, but listen to Rihanna doing that little Bajan accent. And I know people were like, what is she? Why is she talking like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was my very difficult, y'all. It took me years to even get that little bullshit that I just gave you. But a bitch, not say it's like real chop, 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 choppy. Anyways, yeah, but also always really in the nose as well. <laughs> I went to Barbados <laughs> one time and I was like, I don't know if this is my kind of island. It was too flat. <laughs> it was too flat. Yeah, it's very flat. Yeah. You know, they call it like Little Britain sometimes because it's kind of, it can be a little, that was like what they tried to kind of curate there. Yes. You know, in the colonial times. And there and, was a lot of like that energy still, like this idea of yeah. like white was right. Like I felt like we were getting skipped yeah. over. For well, it's words. funny you say that, for real. Like, colorism was, like, a central thing of my mother's life. And so she tried to bleach me. And what? for real, when I was a kid, yes, she tried to freaking bleach me. This melanin. The thing that's going to mean I don't age ever. Like, <laughs> come on. Why would I want to not have the stuff that makes me eternally youthful? I really don't understand. But really, anyway. what was her mindset? 
exactly what you said. The white is right mentality is really still there. Mm-hmm. And it like it had really done a number on her. And she was mixed by two mixed parents, if you're mixed um, ethnicity. And both her granddads were like blonde hair, blue eye. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so like there's this whole like, you know, this is what you should be aspiring towards and the colorism inherent in that. And that's why the first song on the record is about that. It's called Barely Alive. And it's me and another dark skin kind of folky person talking about what it's like for us specifically, that whole being played down or being framed in a certain way because of our hue. And all of that starts from a young age, you know? And it's not just this external thing from other ethnic groups. It's within our own ethnic group. Yes. That kind of like, you know... Pervasive. You, it keeps it going. Yeah, it does. And I really felt that in my mother's generation, my late mother's generation, I should correct to say. And uh, yeah. And so like, I was like, this doesn't feel right. I don't see anything wrong with me, you know? And mm-hmm. so... Like, yeah, I just managed to kind of edge my way out of it. But it was, and that was young. I was like nine or something. And she's trying to bleach me before I even had the weapons to kind of. Yeah. To speak for yourself and to to say this is not what I feel like is. And so, you know, in your music, I'm assuming that it becomes the voice that you didn't have at that time. Yeah, it does. And as I was saying with this first song, me and uh, co-writer Fred uh, Joy Ladakoon, who's doing real great at the moment as well, and we were talking about, you know, this hue and being in this skin and having agency and being seen in all these ways and how you're encouraged so much to survive. Like, surviving is some great, like, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, top-tier aspiration for Black women. And I'm like, it's freaking not douchebags. It, that is that is, that is is foundation. Basic. That's below. It's basic. That is your basic need. That is not self-actualization. But we're encouraged through, you know, this whole bullshit uh, strong Black woman paradigm to aspire to basic. And that's something that comes through a lot in the UK. Because let's be real, like even Meghan Markle had to turn, heel and run, you know? Like she's like, oh, cool, I'm out. I'm out. You coming out? You coming, Harry? Harry's like, you saw how they did dirty on my mother? I'm out of this bitch. Like, <laughs> like, and she's passing as fuck. People over here really didn't realize that like that's real. Like, I mean, unless if you haven't, been keeping up with the Britishness of it all, then it may feel like, oh, England is really just Spice Girls and <laughs> Spice Girls and Harry Potter. And it's like, no, like the royals are very homogenous, honey. Like they're not even trying to marry outside of their bloodline, let alone black folks. No, no. And for real, the empire is the thing that we're talking about. The, the, the prob- mm-hmm. All the problems of which we're referring to are the things that extol. And so yes. that's, that's going to be problematic. Like, 
to to be involved in. And yes, like that's how I felt from the jump. I was like, "How are you gonna be in this family when they are a part of continuing and you know carrying the torch for the colonialist and the neo-colonialist mindset that continues to plague this world? How? Well, it's yeah. And then people knows, say, "Well, love is you, love. Love is love." I'm well, like, you know, Harry was cute, and like, <laughs> <laughs> I just, I and know, so, I couldn't do it. Like, I just know I couldn't do it. Oh, hell no. But like, you know, you meet someone, you go, oh, wow, I didn't judge you. I'm quite proud of myself somehow. And then all of a sudden through the not being massively judgmental, they start being charming and crap. And lo and behold, 18 smashes later, you're like, I think I love this person. Like, yeah. But then they have a whole family. (laughs) They have the worst family. And hey, we're all terrified about that. I'm single. Like, I know what it's like when you're dating someone, you're like, oh, God. The family, like yes. what's this? Yeah, you know, like you don't know. There's no guarantee that whoever yeah, you're dating. In, in her case, she knew the family before she knew him. Well, this is true. You know <laughs> that it's a massive. Do you know that's the one thing none of us have, girl? Like I you know. know. But I and, know. but so you already know they're a nightmare, and you're like. <sighs> But Maybe I think that's what she thought. Optimism. But I really do think, I think she really thought like, Maybe it's not going to be as bad or maybe it's not as But that's what deep. a lot of people in America think. They think it's not that bad here. And guess what? Like Brits will perpetuate that. We've got the best PR campaign you've ever seen. Mm. Think about it. How the blood clots. Sorry. Um, can you? <laughs> but Hilarious because I know a lot of people <laughs> listening didn't even know that blood clot is considered a bad word. But yeah, yeah, yeah cool. Well, uh, uh, how did, sorry. How the blood clot can you invade a 90 percentile of the planet and still think, oh, but we're the good guys? I don't get it. Like, you literally 90 plus percentile of the planet. What did the 89th percentile think? Ah, oh, they're all right. Like, your PR campaign has to be good. Right. And so that's part of the mentality is that we didn't kill you, therefore we're nice. Ah! That's <laughs> that, that. So we're not going to kill you. We're just going to make you wish you were dead. And I don't know what's worse. Like, have the risk of death, but also the risk of extreme beauty in life, mm-hmm. but real death, or not the risk of the beauty of extreme life and the wondrous things, but also because so, the glass scene is very much like yes. at eyebrow level, but at the same time, but you're not going to die. You're never going to die. You're just going to live and in work. this BS limbo and work yes. forever and ever not being seen, not being heard, having your entire reality denied whilst just humdrumming along in a not even middle, in a just this foundational, you're alive, aren't you? Be grateful. Kind mm. of like, I'm like, I really... Like creating an environment in which you want to jump off a cliff only can't. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> like, right. you know, is that's not a win, guys. <laughs> I mean, there's a there's a site in Grenada called Leapers Hill where the Carabinaric Indians were like, you know what, we'd rather die than go with you. So they yeah. all jumped off the cliff. And looks like they just ran with that ball and created a whole paradigm around it. And so like, that's the fight that we fight when it comes to the environment of racism. Like, it's not that 
oh, we don't know, we don't have it, we don't know what it is just mm-hmm. because we didn't kill you. It's like, no, you've just, like, you've just weaponized misery to a Ooh. new level. That's all you've done. <laughs> I know for me, living in America at this point is becoming more and more difficult to like thrive and to like, you know, strive for creativity, et cetera, because you're just so inundated with the immense efforts that are being put forth every single day to just disseminate misinformation, oppression, discrimination. I mean, we're in the dark ages in America. We are for real in the dark ages. And so I know for me, it's like, it becomes very difficult sometimes to still see like the light within myself as a creative amidst the dark Mm -hmm. of all of that. So like for you over in England and talking about specifically being a black woman in this British uh, music business, talk to me about it. Like what makes it work for you? How are you able to make it work? Well, I moved to America. I'm now in Nashville. So there's that. Well, Tennessee (laughs) is a choice. Well, but this is what I mean. The fact that I've moved to Tennessee and Nashville, people say that Nashville is its own energy. It's the blue. It's its own, for real. It is. It's not without flaw. And I think anyone in Nashville would go, no, it's not without flaws. We own up to what the flaws are. But mm-hmm. moving from where I was in an apparently liberal town in, on the Southwest to Nashville, Tennessee, and then all of a sudden getting a massive uplift in my, like, career right i'm like guys 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 what are we doing what are we doing like we think we're so much better over in the uk we've got this real stuck up bs kind of vibe and we could actually be (laughs) i mean (laughs) if we double if we double down on any of the stuff that we claim to do we could really double down on it but it's the whole kind of so quick to self-congratulate oh we don't have guns right we didn't kill them but the self round of applause is so quick what was the catalyst that made you say it's time to go uh i think for me i saw some of my girlfriends some like you know 510, 5'11, legs up to their armpits, gorgeous, stone cold single. And I saw all of my friends in the UK, a US, women of color as well. Again, full range, gorgeous smoke shows, just some, some average looking mofos. And, but all like in, in just stable relationships, some like coming in and out. So it wasn't music related, it, was, it wasn't business related. It was, it was both. So it was partly that idea of on the kind of the human side, because it always ties in, one always ties into the other. Make no mistake. It's like, true. Especially with music. Like, yeah. And in art, anyway, art especially when you're being artistic. Like life reflects art, art reflects life. And so what, you could, what I could see in my friends who were musical and weren't musical, who were inexplicably single just regardless of how smoking hot and intelligent and talented they were and then going to the US and going not so much not seeing that same pattern 
And specifically in dark-skinned women, I wasn't seeing that pattern so much in the US. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. Like the pattern still exists and colorism still exists, but it was just less intense than it was in the UK. And then I'd see like artists of color that were women and that were dark-skinned, of any background, but that were dark-skinned, speaking on their experience and you'd see how they did Alexandra Burke. You'd see how they did Jamelia. You'll see, like, you know, we're getting a, a renaissance, thank the gods, of Laura and Vula, who is just an absolute oh, savant. Oh, I love Laura and Vula. She's is a there anybody savant out there? genius. Yeah, right. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Ugh, just, but, like, like, but she did not have the easy time by any stretch of the imagination they right. they dropped before they picked up you know and like long may she rise as far as i'm concerned but like every single time it was just like dropity drop and you see like michaela will talk about it how like she'll come over and go hey here's my beautiful baby of ideas and like mm-hmm. had some pick up there but like has to kind of balance the scale with the u.s to kind of keep things churning and like you name it like black women will speak on it like and it's gina yashere like wooey she'll talk on it all day every day i love this woman i love this woman i can't not kalechi she'll talk on it all day you know and like they're just speaking the truth there's no no lies have been told so what has been your experience as an artist in Britain as a Black woman artist? Like, what has made being a Black woman in the British music space positive and negative? Like, give me the scope. Okay, great. Well, well, let, me, let me just tell you this. Here, it's mm-hmm. all about image. Yeah. Here in America, it's not, like, your talent, the music, like, that's secondary behind your aesthetic and your story. And it's not mm-hmm. to say that you have to, you know, have big titties and a fat ass because you can be Lizzo, which is her own, you know, her own space. You can be Billie Eilish, who's like a little frail white girl, but there has to be a story. And mm-hmm. the music, I feel like, comes secondary. I don't know that I feel like it's the same in England. Well, it's interesting because I felt like it was the other way around. I know, right? Really? Uh, yeah, I felt like when I came here, people were finally listening to my music instead of watching my music. Huh. And so you feel like in England, they were watching your music. Yeah, that it was like they couldn't conceive of like my existence or they didn't. They'd say so from not from people were ready to hear music. So this is a thing that about England, people are ready to hear music. People are ready to imagine beyond what they've seen already. Mm -hmm. But sometimes the machine is slow to be at pace with the people. And so the machine will be like, oh, I don't know how to market you. I'm just going to quote all the things I've heard. I don't know how to market you. I'm like, what? My giant boobs and bum too much for you to handle? Yeah, like too much. We don't have cup sizes for all of this. And like, you know... Like, you do. You've got bravissimo. Anyway, so, like, the deal is, was, like, it was a lot of this whole, oh, but we don't know what to do with a dark-skinned woman. There was just, just what it was. Right. Dark-skinned man, fine. No problem. No problem. Dark-skinned woman, nah. Don't know what to do with it. Don't, we don't have a model for it. Like, we don't know who to call. We don't know what to dress you in. We don't know who to... 
We don't know. It's just the, we, we, we don't know whether we can speak on you from the same species point. This is the problem of, and so you're going there. And I even had a quote from a record company exec saying, oh, come on, no one wants to hear a black woman sing rock and roll. I'm like, a black woman invented rock and roll. What are we so, talking about? I'm playing her in a freaking movie. The South Bar <laughs> we're going for. It. Is that a time? <laughs> yeah. Really? I'm in the, the, the Elvis biopic and my role is to freaking, like, to be the person that Elvis wakes up every morning, runs back from school to listen to and is just utterly obsessed and goes, oh, I'm obsessed with her. Like, yeah, I'm playing that person who then inspires the entire generation of rock and roll and discovers some of them. Like, and so to hear this whole, and I knew about Sister Rosetta Tharpe from a young age. And so to, for people to be that ignorant, I was like, well, the not boldness. holding a lot of hope. I don't, yeah, the caucasity of it all is ah, just. Ah, yes, the caucasity you know? of it all. <laughs> We it's know just, it's so just, well. It's a bit too rich. That whole kind of, this stuff is mine. I'm like, sweetie, none of this is yours. Like, you know, I don't mean to be the African in the room, but it's all mine. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so, like... That's so you really feel like over here there was just more willing to embrace. Interesting. Do you think part of that is, is because of the Britishness of it all? Because I do think yeah. that... Okay, go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry... Uh, so hey, 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 British people that are black. Hi, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the thing, and I'm really sorry to say the thing because I know it's a thing, but I'm, I, I, I won't be too. I'm gonna say it. So I'm sorry. Just a sidebar to black British people. I'll just go. I'm gonna, yeah, 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 yeah. It's just it's just another incarnation of the Supremathon, and so then what we have to do is go. You thought we were going to be mild, didn't you? Bad choice. I That's really think <laughs> that they think the accent means that you're going to be like, keep calm and carry on. Yeah, and they think that we're not going to squat up with Americans who are black. Like the diaspora isn't like a stone cold sisterhood till we right. die. I'm like, you don't understand black women. You need to go back to school. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm very happy to hear that. This shit doesn't There's a die. lot of conversation here about like, <laughs> like amongst the in in the in the Hollywood space. You know, there's a there's an ongoing conversation around you know mm. Brits playing um, you know legendary Black Americans and iconic Black Americans, and you know why aren't those roles being played by actual Black Americans? And I think there's truth in both sides to the argument, honestly. I think that there's validity in both sides to the conversation. And when you said something just now, Supremathon, yo. Because I really do think that Americans, they're hearing an accent. And so at first they're just like mesmerized by the accent. I mean, that may be the one time that they really don't see color because they're like, oh, I'm listening. Oh my God. Oh my God, I love your accent. Oh my God. And just for long enough for them to, I don't know, not kill you or, you know, oh, give you an yeah. opportunity. Just right. just the split second that you can go, yeah, I got you. Like, if that's what it is. But you'll notice <laughs> that us black British people, we don't exactly come quietly. <laughs> no, it's true. We come, we come kind of heavy. We're like second generation Africans, okay? And so, uh, slash Bajans, slash Jamaicans, slash right. Haitians. I'm like, we're coming 
we're coming early. We're going, oh, no, 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 no. Like, this isn't, this isn't like a come quietly, I have no idea what you did to my parents. Or, yeah, or whatever, exactly. But this whole, we have no idea what you did to our parents. We know exactly what you did to our parents because of Windrush. Can you please tell folks what Windrush is? Because I think a lot of folks know. Yeah, okay. So, most people my age are second geners, okay? Their parents came over to the UK on a boat called Windrush to relieve the National Health Service because a bunch of people died in the Second World War and also, like, the whole kind of those bloodlines, the young kids that were out there fighting never grew up to be in the civil service, never grew up to do whatever. Um, They went to the colonies, to Barbados, to Nigeria, to Ghana, to India, to Pakistan, to draw on people, Jamaica, you know, to draw on people to come to the UK under the illusion of a better life. So let's say that you had a very cheap beachfront small holding in Barbados and you were like, you it was just like a little house and a little, and you had some chickens and maybe a goat. And uh, like my mother did, or you were in St. Michael, you're in town where she grew up in St. Michael in Barbados. And le- and they go, hey, and they show you a video. So my mom told me this. She goes, it was clearly shot on the one sunny day of the year in England because it rains there all the gosh darn time. So they pick the cutest town on the sunniest day. And then they go, they will love you as you roll onto the sunny shores of England and your money will translate back to blah, blah, blah. Then you can come back to beautiful Barbados and build your dream home and send it back for your parents and your blah, blah. But you go on a one-way ticket. So there's that. Um, Two, um, so they don't want you to be able to leave. No. (laughs) Number one, so... We, you think we would have learned about English people and boats, but still, no. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so anyway, they land. It's not sunny. Everyone hates them. And so <laughs> then you've got the whole, oh, now I'm stuck here. So you have this, like, what can in some cases become a Stockholm syndrome because you're stuck and you have to deal. Or you come from a place where the mentality is of colorism and it just further reinforces the stuff that you've been hearing about as you've been growing up in a colorist environment. And so we see like that kind of bait and switch BS that went on with our parents. And then Mm -hmm. the large number of people that were promised this like idyllic life and this amazing retirement plan called a superannuation. And there was this mysterious fire that burnt a bunch of people's records that they worked for the NHS, for example. And then it's like, oh, we can't find you, so you can't get your superannuation, which is like many, many multiple times more after 30, 40 years of working in the NHS. My mother never got hers. So, and your annuation is your pension. Yeah, but it's like a pumped up pension for your service. It's like a civil service pension. And like everyone pays towards this kind of national insurance kind of yeah, thing it's like that your goes social towards. Security. Like, yeah, you know. And so, which goes to And your mother never got hers. Yeah, and a gazillion other black and brown people. None of the whites. So um, there's that. 
<laughs> and so we're coming from this point of view where, like, we're aware of some of the programming that's been going on or mm. we're aware of, like, the bait and switch from, you know, a place that... People go on a holiday for Bar- to Barbados, for gosh sake. No one goes to on holiday to Hull. <laughs> in the same way they go to, you know, respect to Hull. But, like, it ain't Barbados. You know it ain't, Okay. What is Hull? Hull is a place in England that is not Barbados. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So um, to be sent to places where, like, essentially aren't Barbados. <laughs> I'm like, cool, this isn't fair. And then she'll go, oh, so-and-so went back home and all the beachfront's been bought up by multinational companies and now little Mima's freaking plot ain't there no more. And it was bait and switch. That's all it was. And so we've seen that stuff. And we also, you know, have first-generation Africans that know they go back. I've got friends that go to Lagos to, you know, hang with the friends and turn it up to 11 and, like, get cocktails and blah, blah. And no one sees images of anywhere in Africa in mainstream media that is, like, just going out and having cocktails, having a laugh with your mates. It was something I mean, that's when I really went to Ghana, I didn't realize how tropical it is. Yeah. Like I like and it's like well duh, it's equatorial and yes. it's on a coast. But like when yes. I went to Ghana, we went to Cape Coast Castle which, you know, is its own Same. experience yeah. and that you have to do. But then from there, we drove to the beach. <laughs> yes. And there's all these hotels. Yes. There's all these hotels. You go up where, like, you know, you have the infinity pool and the floating tray of food. All of that. All this business. And I'm just like, you're not showing that part of Africa because you don't want us to know. And again, Beautiful. like, to be, like, a generation away from that and for those images to be so scant, I was like, I grew up my entire adult life up until, I don't know, late 20s, none of that. And so, so many people going, oh, there's nothing over there and blah, blah. I'm like, we are one generation from that. Like, how the heck is the PR campaign for where I come from so bad and the PR campaign for here so good? And that's just what it is. It's psychological. So the musical, so the experience of your sense of agency, like you've got to go through a psychological reckoning to be able to do what I'm doing now, writing songs, being in spaces where there might be a lot of older white guys and going, actually, I want these people to be involved because I want it to reflect my world. It takes strength to be able to do that but not the kind of girl like emotionless monolith freaking black lady strength i'm talking like belief and <laughs> love in yourself not like freaking robo freaking black lady and so to build that you need people that see you and if people are so convinced that they haven't been mentally programmed they won't see that they don't see you and so the work that you have to do to just build a squad around you who see you enough to just let you do what you're going to do without being so threatened that they want to sabotage what you do or just not believe it's even possible and that's kind of half of the battle is with people's psychologies I was terrified to lead I was terrified to Mm. ask anyone to do anything for me because I honestly didn't believe anyone would want to do anything for a black lady and I hadn't seen evidence of it and so right what am I going to so do? It's like, why waste my time? Why waste my energy? It's not even 
a waste. It's just fear of being left out in the cold. And I've been left out in the cold by people that claim to be friends. Like I've been left on the street to Literally die. Literally left by on people, the street. The street yes. To die. By people that were like, now nah, we got you. I'm like, you don't got me. I'm literally in a bag, in a bush, on the street. And you're like, I'm sorry, it's just inconvenient, you know. Like, you, you've got to work to find people that are, you know, your squad. Like, for real. And in this business in particular. What was your path from saying I want to do music to then doing music professionally? Because and um, also like the birth in this particular style, because your style of music is not, I feel like what would have been the, I guess like the path, the road most taken, right? Because it's like, no. you have a soulful voice. It's like, oh, so just do R&B, call it a day. Yeah, but I don't really have the R&B voice. So that's the trick. I grow up listening to like, Mary and I think oh maybe I can get on this because you know Mary's voice has got all the ah yeah like, yeah yeah, yeah nah. and I so I'm like maybe maybe I can get in on there and I'm and then I hear a lot I hear your Leas and your Brandies and my but I'm like ah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe <laughs> I can't just be Mary but I just feel like people just look at black women and they're like these are your lanes and even though yeah. you're t- even though you said like Brit- like your style is more genre fluid even though you're saying that you had a fear of leading you were leading by just saying you know I'm going to sing different than what I think they yeah. would expect I think that's it I think what I ended up doing was trying to lead through genre freedom more than like putting myself out there on my own. And so I would be like, Tina, like, listen to that woman. She's got everything in her voice. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that feels real to me. Aretha, she didn't just hang around in one genre, getting all bored and stuff. She moved around. She had some fun with it, you know? Like, right, right up until her, she was crystalline till her dying day, you know? Like, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm here for that stuff. Can we talk about Shaka? She moved around a few genres before she settled on anything and was a drummer and a badass drummer at that. Can we speak on that? Like Shaka can drum? Yeah. For real. I didn't know now that. You know, now you know why her vocals so pocket, you know? Drummer. All right. Bro. Yeah, fluent German speaker as well. Shaka Khan? For real. I've spoken fluent why? German with her. She lived in Germany. For like a long time. Are you a German speaker? a place there anyway. Yeah. And French. Why? I'm a nerd. <laughs> I mean, you just casually just said that you're trilingual and I'm sure there's another one in there too. Not really. I understand loads of other things though without being able to speak them because of their proximity to Germanic or Latin languages or romantic languages, should I say. Would you consider yourself a polyglot or were you just trained in these languages in school? I've got a good ear. That's probably the thing. It was school though, like a hundred percent. But then I just decided to kind of spend some time in the South of France doing gigs. And those gigs meant that I had, I had, I was immersed. And so that helped that. And then I just had some German friends, but my ear is the thing that, mm-hmm. so it's my musical ear kind of yeah. took itself to understanding, just, just to hearing things. And I can still do that with languages I don't um, speak. I'll be like, yeah, I know. I know what you said. 
And like, I went through a little phase doing interviews where they'd ask me in the language I don't speak and I'd answer in English accurately. Nice. (laughs) Ah, that is so (laughs) impressive. I just, you know, a language is something, like I have a good ear for sound so I can do the accent. But in terms of like the synthesizing of meaning, like, I'm just not as I wish I had it in a way that people like you have it. Like I can get by with French. I can get by even more. I can really get by with Spanish, but Mm -hmm. like German just sounds so weird to me that I don't even know that I would ever be able to get there. Cause I went to Berlin and was like, what is this? (laughs) Yeah. It's just because it's next, it's next door for one of its purposes to a Brit. Like France and Germany aren't, as far and so right whereas maybe spain's a bit further and so you're going to pick up french and german and anything that's just kind of nearby and spoken in a few countries and so it's more proximity school does that they kind of they give you a choice they only started doing spanish in my school like later on as well so we didn't have as much like exposure to it but um yeah like what ends up happening so like my experience is this being all of this stuff and being this nerd and they're like oh we don't understand nerdery and black skins I'm like (laughs) oh what am I gonna do with my blurred life um I don't know and so yeah I chose genre as a way to kind of be free and to speak on Tina and Sister Rosetta and Aretha and Mavis Staples and Etta and Ella and their freedom of expression and their flow. Like, I don't think it's much of a mystery that you can hear a number of those in my voice, but maybe all of my influences are more of my mother's record collection and then a little bit of Mary. (laughs) Mary always finds her way in. She should, because she's awesome. And so, like, I was, um, I still am all about Mary. I saw the documentary. I cried my eyeballs out. Did you cry? I cried. I could not cry. I she did. I, honestly, I couldn't finish it. I <laughs> no, couldn't finish I, it. I, I took a pause. It was heavy. It was freaking heavy. It was so heavy. I was and not I was prepared like, for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like in on tour. And then I kind of come out of my hotel room. And they're like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm not okay. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we are so happy to be hosting you here in America. Uh (laughs) It's really nice. I'm not sure what you've done with the place. You know, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of lit though. It's like the best stuff, the worst stuff and literally everything in between. And that's, that's how I understand this place. Awesome stuff, dreadful stuff, all the permutations you could possibly imagine. And it's just a little... You know, it's like you're on a dodging car just trying to get through <laughs> to the good shit. Is that the good shit? Cool. And that's that's the life experience. And if you're lucky, you don't get like freaking whack-a-mold and, you know. Touche. I'm here to run the gauntlet. It's better than freaking misery. <laughs> you know what? And, and and you laying out what it is over in Britain, you know, I think that's really just a, a great way for us to understand just the difference. And like being a Black woman in that musical space, you're not going to thrive. Like you're not going to feel full. It's It's psychological what they do. So even if they choose, let's say that you're lucky, 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 and they choose you as their kind of proof. We're not racist. We have this one. Like, cognitive bias will always out. 
Mm-hmm. Like it's your unconscious programming. Yeah. You've been programmed by an entire system. And so mentally at some point, even if you think you're immune, the second you think you're immune, that's when you've got a problem. And so <laughs> the problem is that there aren't enough people going, we've got a massive problem and we need to be vigilant of it every second of our lives. People are waiting for that moment where they can exhale and get the badge that says they're not a racist. And as long as that's the case, as long as it's like, oh, we don't talk about those things. One doesn't talk about those things, darling. Like, you know, as long as we're in that, we've got problems. And they're problems of the ability for people that look like me with my skill set to thrive. And I can literally just go come back and go, oh, cool, you're really good at that. I'm like, so it's not that they haven't got any taste. Brits have great taste. And so they'll be like, you're really good. I'll be like, yeah, guy. Cool. Glad you see it now. Cool. (laughs) So these kids, there's a little dark girl over there and she's a badass. And you're literally like, right. The whole time. Like, you need to stop doing that. Yes. You know? Yes. And so that's what it is. And, you know, US ain't freaking innocent by any stretch of the imagination. No. But we, like, this country is completely complicit in that same behavior. Yeah. But I think we talk about that somewhat kind of openly. <laughs> we go, yeah. Whereas I think depending can, on the circle, I think the, the yeah. trouble is that, like, the walls are very, you're right. Like I, I definitely feel like in England, there's a definite pretending that these things do not exist here. That still takes place. I mean, it just depends on the circle you're in. It could feel like, oh, we all get it. But then you see other circles that are very adamantly saying like, no, racism is not a real thing. Privilege is not a real thing. Colorism is oh, not yeah. a real thing. All of you guys are bullshitting. You know, you have your own show and this person has their own show. So how can racism exist? And to your point, at the end of the day, people still want to be entertained. So there's no shortage of white people who don't like black people, but are willing to be entertained by them. Like that's an absolute normal paradigm. So I think that a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, that's literally a basis of an entire industry. Like industries are built, have been built on that. So, but I really thank you for joining us today and just talking to us from a different perspective because it's so important. And I'm telling you, there's a stronghold here. And I'm sure as you've been here, you see it. Like you're not hearing anything about England while you're here. Like no. from other Americans. No. <laughs> like, it's a they complete, don't... no, it's an iron curtain. Like, I mean, they definitely do a great job here of tricking America the same way you were saying like Britain has tricked itself into being the good guy even though they have uh invaded 90% of the of the world it's like America has tricked itself into being the smartest person in the room even though they're the only ones in the room yeah and so that's been like a real thing that I'm working to to combat in a number of ways and I just feel like by having people like you come and, and, you know, speaking on your experiences beyond just the, the ones that we are individually like experiencing, like we, you can relate on a pan-African level. People who are listening to this episode can relate on a diasporic level. Yes. Like a hundred percent. I think that's the most important takeaway from all of this as the diaspora connection is our power. Anyone that has managed to convince you that your brothers and sisters are inferior for whatever reason has won. Yep. That's just it. That's just it. And it can be in any way. You can say, 
it's down to the people that you want to work with or the people that you want to hang with or whatever. Like the second that they've driven a barrier up between you and other said group of diasporic people and said, oh, it's them instead of you or blah, mm-hmm. blah. Like, like we're not about that. FYI, (laughs) like from from the Black British point of view, we are not about that. The diaspora is not about that. And you're not about to do a brand new brand of pitching us against each other where you try and turn Black British people against Black American people because that's already not working, FYI. And if you're coming at Black women thinking that we're not going to support each other, you're high. (laughs) (laughs) Well, people, you can support Yola's last album, Stand For Myself. And... uh, any new music coming soon? Um, I that just came out. So. I don't know, <laughs> you know. People, but these days it feels like new music comes every goddamn month. It's like it I does. live because that just came out in July. But people are like, <laughs> okay, we're done. I don't know. I don't know what I, if I'm, I'm, I'm. We're cooking something. So keep your find me on I am Yola official on Instagram because I have a feeling we might be announcing something. Ah. but I can't say what because I haven't checked (laughs) (laughs) all right the last dose well this has been such a delight Uh, it's been nothing I think we should get drinks or something and (laughs) turn this into a real world situation this same thing can break my heart sometimes but (laughs) zoom is I, at this point, I've just given myself over to it. So it is. <laughs> I, I can't even fight it anymore. So I'm just trying to make the best of it and stay out there in Nashville. Make the best of your American experience and I keep doing do. what you're doing and Thank breaking the walls so of these genres. Thank you so much. This has been such a joy. Thank you. Thank you, Yola. Starbanks Avenue, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.